Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Certainly the words of that song are true. Is it true for you? Your life, your hope, your strength, they're all in the Lord. We're studying our Bible class this morning about 1 Corinthians 30.31. It came in as a supplemental passage. Christ is our wisdom, our sanctification, our redemption, and many other things. If you want to boast, don't boast in what you've done, how far you've progressed, boast in the Lord, because he is our righteousness. All right. Thank you, Don, for the songs. 1 Corinthians 9. We'll talk about Olympics. Anybody watching the Olympics here and there? Can't hardly av- avoid them, can you? But uh, I'm always amazed, and I'm sure you are, at these athletes. <clears throat> the time. I mean, we, we watch them perform whatever event they're in. But, and, and we're amazed at how well they perform and what they do. Uh, and the the heights they achieve, if you will, and the speeds and all that. But what we have to remember is how much time went into them preparing for these events. Uh, Years, years of training, of discipline, of eating certain foods, of not eating certain foods, of getting up early in the morning, and going through all kinds of exercise regimens and practice, practice, practice in order to achieve this this standard, this uh, accomplishment to have their bodies prepared and particularly for their their certain event that they're going to compete in to push themselves, to push their bodies to the edge, as we would say, even their minds to force themselves through pain, to continue to run, whatever, you know, to continue to swim, uh, to continue to, uh, to uh, compete in pain because they want to win. It's what they do. And they've been doing it for many years. Paul references the games in 1 Corinthians 9. They began in Greece, and they were around at the time in the first century. They were still going on. Uh, And he draws a parallel between these games of physical sport and the Christian race. And I've just kind of styled it here, the Olympics of life, uh, that you can choose what you want to, how do you want to apply that. But as often is the case, we've seen over and over again, there are many parallels between the, uh, the physical world and the spiritual world. And God has so made it so that we are not to forget that we have the spiritual side. You know, there's the, the parent-child relationship, and of course, God is our Heavenly Father, and we're His children. There's the husband-wife relationship, and Jesus is, you know, He's the husband, and the church is His bride, His wife. There's the light and darkness. There's the, uh, the sun in the sky, and then there's the Son of God who brings the light into the world. You know all these. And so here again we have this application of 
a race or a game, so competing for a crown, for a medal. So let's take a look at this. I'm going to read these uh, four verses, and then we're going to kind of examine them individually. But just get a, a feel for this, and this is oftentimes a good thing to do, and in fact I'll say it's, a, it's usually the best thing to do, whether you're reading a book of the Scriptures or a passage of Scripture, a chapter, just read it through first to get the gist of it, get the feel for it, before you start to try to get into the details. You can see where the author of the Holy Spirit is going, and then that helps you to understand you know, some, of the, some of the finer points. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So he talks about a race here. Those who run the race run to receive the prize. The first thing, the obvious question is, to anybody reading that, is are you in the race? Are you in the race? Now, most people might say yes, but he's not talking about the human race. Okay, he's not talking about the everyday ups and downs of going, getting up, going to work, and experiencing all of that, and having to pay bills, and that's not the race he's discussing here, although that can have a bearing on being a Christian. But he's talking about the race that the Christian has willingly and even joyfully decided to join in following Christ and racing to life eternal. That's the race he's talking about. The race of faith. So the question becomes, are you in this race? If you're not in this race, the Christian race, you cannot win the prize. Kind of obvious, isn't it? We saw, you see on TV, the, the crowds watching, uh, whether it's an arena or some kind of a stadium or whatever. But those people don't get the gold medals or the silver medals, do they? The people, no matter how, how, high they, how hard they clap, how much they cheer, jump up and down for their favorite athlete, they don't get the medals, do they? They don't, do they? Only the athletes who are competing in the games get the medals. And so it's true with a Christian race. If you're not in the race, you're not competing to win a crown. It's just very basic. So don't think that you might get one if you're not really in the race. You know, you might know a lot about Christianity. You might have a lot of friends who are Christian. 
You might even know the scriptures a lot. But if you're not in the race, if you've never made the decision to follow Christ Jesus, died with him, received a new life through the Spirit of God, you're not in the race. And you really need to think about, if you want that crown, if you want life eternal, you've got to get in the race. You've got to get in the race. If you are a Christian, if you're in this race, then the question becomes, as we've seen as Paul lays this out, run to win. You have to run to win. Just as the athletes, as we just mentioned, train, discipline their bodies, sacrifice, work hard, they're devoted to winning the race. They want the crown. Many Christians aren't really running hard to win. They're very casual about their Christianity, very lazy about it. They're soft. They're out of shape spiritually. They're not focused on winning. They're focused on other things in life, on the world. They aren't running to win. And I think Paul's thought here is, if you're not running to win, you're not going to get a crown. It's not going to happen for you. So he says, get in the race. If you're not in the race, and if you're in the race, run to win. And he's going to talk about that now for the next three verses, about running to win. One of the necessary requirements to win, I'm in verse 25 now, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Self-control is one part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, I believe. If you don't have self-control, guess what? You're not going to win. We're going to look here, the next three scriptures we have have to do with self-control because he says in all things. This is a part of disciplining in ourselves, all right? Training ourselves, having ourselves under control in order to do what God wants us to do, to live the life he wants us to live. 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You know, Paul making that statement, we know this is not about the physical body like these Olympic athletes. This is about our soul, spirit, heart, and mind. Although we live in a body and we have to control that body, but it's about the inner person. We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. All right? It isn't about us getting up early in the morning and going out to Planet Fitness and, you know, walking on the treadmill for a half hour or doing the weights. That's not Christian life, okay? But divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Self-control in what you think 
about and how you think. Every thought captive to Christ. We don't want our thoughts going out, thinking about worldly things, thinking about evil things, thinking about wicked things. We want our minds under control of Christ. Thoughts lead to beliefs, and beliefs lead to actions, whether good or bad. If we think erroneously and we make bad decisions that way, we come to believe certain things, and these things cause us to act in a certain way. We almost always act on what we believe, what we truly believe. The old, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You cannot avoid that principle of life. What you believe, what you like, is what you will do. It's just obvious. You can't avoid it, no matter how hard you try. Our thoughts need to be truthful, gracious, righteous, and all those other things that you know we could put in there, thoughts that are good and about the Lord and about doing His will, so that our beliefs and our actions will follow suit. We had a lesson not too long ago about our eyes, how we see. This is kind of the same thing. What do you look for? Is your mind focused on the good, ways to build people up and to edify, or is it focused on evil? Selfishness, critical, and things like that. We need to have self-control of the mind. If it says so, we can do it, right? If we're challenged to do it, we can do it, and we need to do it in order to run this race, to be focused on the right things. Second one from James, the tongue. You knew I was going to get there, didn't you? James 1.26, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart as this man's religion is worthless. Well, that's pretty strong, isn't it? If your tongue just goes about waving in the wind like a flag in a breeze, your religion is pretty worthless because you're going to be saying a lot of things you shouldn't say, blabbing a lot of things you shouldn't repeat. Verse 2 of chapter 3. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man or a mature man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And this is what we're after, right? Paul says you run this race, you have to have self-control. You can control the tongue, what you say. Now, this is not about not saying things, you know. Some people get to that point. They don't want to say anything. Well, that's wrong, too, because we're supposed to use our tongue for good, aren't we? We read that a lot in the Proverbs, to build people up, to edify, to say beautiful things to people when it needs to be said, to encourage, okay? So we need to learn how to control the tongue, to say the good things, the right things, to, uh, speak the gospel, perhaps, you see someone who's down, you try to pick them up, and then you learn not to say the evil, the wicked, the hurtful things. 
You learn to control that tongue. Third one, in Galatians, the passions of the flesh. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Self-control, it's in the chapter there with part of the fruit of the Spirit. What are we talking about? Anger, flying off, hatred, envy, lusts of all kinds, malice, self-indulgence, bitterness, pride, greed, all these things. Jesus talked about all those things that come from within that defile a person. need to get rid of them, but we have to control them because... You know, we do live in the flesh, and they're going to be around. They're going to be around. So if we're going to run this race and we're going to run to win, we've got to control these things. We've got to control the way we think. We've got to control what we say. And we've got to control the passions of the flesh to be like Jesus. Any of these will knock us out of the race if they're not under control. They'll cause us to falter, to go by the wayside, to stop running. They will. All right, let's go back to uh, 925. It says, if you compete, you need to exercise self-control in all things. So then he goes back to his comparison. Then they, they do it, meaning those who are in the games, to receive a perishable wreath or crown. Some translations have crown. They did not get a gold medal in those days. They received a crown of olive branches or olive leaves. That's all it was. Okay? wasn't even anything really valuable. It wasn't silver or gold. But it was just the prestige. You won. You were the winner of the race. You won the boxing match. You won the wrestling match or the javelin throw. I understand those were some of the things they did in those games. You won. You got to wreath. But as Paul says, that was a perishable thing. You know, how long would an olive, a, a, a crown made out of, out of a branch with olive leaves last? The leaves would die very soon, wouldn't they? And you'd still just have the, the branches there and they'd be all dried up. And it would perish eventually and be, be lost. I was, I was kind of curious about the medals. I did a little look online about the Olympic medals, how many of them end up actually being pawned in pawn shops, sold at auctions, or just sold directly by the athletes as, I don't want this anymore, you want to buy it? I was amazed. There's a story about this one, one girl, lady, and I'm not sure of the country, so I won't speculate. But she won a gold, I think it was a gold medal. She won a gold medal, and as soon as she received it, she turned right around the same day, sold it to somebody, got on an airplane, and went home. Go figure. That's what that medal went, meant to her. Don't know anything more about that. But it's just amazing to me that how... These metal, of course, they are perishable, even though they're made out of gold, silver, etc. They're still perishable, but how much, how little they meant to some of the athletes that won them. They end up just getting rid of them. 
I also found out this was kind of just kind of a sideline here, a sidebar, that today's gold medals are mostly silver. They're just kind of gold-plated now. So anyway, I mean, it's a, it's a marvelous thing to compete in these games, these World Olympics, and win. I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from any of these athletes. But still, what are we talking about? They won a race. Got a medal? Yeah, that's a wonderful thing. But it's still a world physical type competition. And, you know, in 300 years, probably most of these athletes will be forgotten. There may not be any Olympic Games. Who knows? But, Paul says, we do it we run our race to receive an imperishable crown. One doesn't fade away. One, I guarantee you, you will not want to throw away or sell to anybody. Not on your life. I'm not going to go to the next three scriptures. You can go to them. 2 Timothy 4, Paul calls it a crown of righteousness. And that'd be the righteousness of Christ, not your own. But now, through Christ, he's going to declare you righteous. You receive that spiritual body in the resurrection. James 1.12, the crown of life. The crown of life eternal. That's what it's going to be. And then, the first Peter 5, crown of glory. I mean, we see those athletes that get up on their the podium there and they play the, the anthem and receive their medal and that, that's a wonderful time time of honor and they receive glory and they receive the ovations there when they win the races but this is one you know the crown of glory can you imagine I've, I've said this before but we really need to imagine some of these things standing there and the Lord says well done good and faithful servant can you imagine that moment? You see, if we, if, we, if we have that in mind, that'll help us run this race because that's where we're going. This race is going somewhere, but it's also to see someone, to see our Father, to see our Lord, and receive that crown from Him. That's what this is about. That's going to be a day so when you see the, you know, see all the crowds applauding and you see them on the, the uh, dais there and all that, just remember, wow, someday. Someday I'm really going to get something that will not fade away. Something really worth sacrificing for, getting myself in shape for, training my body and my spirit and my soul for being under self-control, giving up things. It's worth, it's going to be worth it. 9.26. So Paul says then, therefore, because of all that, therefore, because of that imperishable crown, I run in such a way as not without aim, not aimlessly, not just, I'm just not running down a road here, you know, kicking stones and looking at the birds in the trees. And No, I have a, I have a destination. 
and there's a person at the end of that destination. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to see him. And I'm going to run in such a way that I'm pleasing to him. That I don't disappoint him. That's what this is about. He's, by, he's thinking about the boxing. He's not just flailing away, you know, just playing around at it. He says, I, there's a target there. I want to hit it. I want to be in shape. I'm going to hit that bag. I'm going to hit that person. I'm not messing around here, he says. It's not a casual thing to me. Verse 27. And because he doesn't take it lightly, he understands where he's going and who he's going to see, what he's going to receive. He says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. Those are hard words. Those are hard words. The Greek there, and the translation is a little bit different there, but the Greek there says, I pummel my body and make it a slave. I don't know if Paul actually hit his own body or not. It, he may have done that. I, you know, you read about Paul, and he was dead serious about his walk with Christ and his race. I don't think many coaches today would go for that approach, do you think? Beat your own body? Slap yourself around? Maybe he did. I don't know. I would think this would certainly apply when he's talking about that discipline of his body and making it his slave, making it do what he wanted it to do in his mind. You go to Romans 7, read Romans 7 again, where he says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. He had that struggle. He says he's Disciplining his body. He's taking this seriously. I want to win this race. Certainly, I think fasting would be in mind here. Going without food, if necessary, to learn. Control of his sexual desire. Loss of sleep. Uh, going without whatever it was. making, Engaging in difficult tasks that needed to be done, even though they were hard tasks to do. Sometimes uh, God calls us to do very difficult things. And the difficult things we tend to shy away from. I talked before in some instances about making easy visits or hard visits. Some visits are very easy. Some people are very cordial and they want you to come and sit there and talk to them and that's fine. But then there's some other visits that need to be made. The people, you know... They would just rather you not be there and maybe they don't want to talk to you but you need to talk to them and they need to hear you. But they're hard visits. You have to make yourself do them and not shy away from them. So I think Paul is probably talking about all these kinds of things here. The difficult things that need to be done to run this race to win. To win. We're going to close out in Philippians 4. There's a secret here that he's learned. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. Okay, how many of us can say that? Oftentimes when we're living in humble means, 
which we might translate as poor or doing without. All we're thinking about is we want more. We shouldn't be here. This shouldn't be my lot in life. I should have more. And that's all we think about is getting more. And then sometimes when we're on the other end of the coin and we say, I live in prosperity and I got everything and more I need, guess what? We forget the Lord. We forget to share and give to those in need and we just indulge ourselves and, and spend it on ourselves. That's the dangers in both ends. But Paul says, I know how. And then he says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. But he said, notice, he says, I learned this. I learned it. It wasn't automatic. How did he learn it? Self-control. Focus on the goal. What matters. Word of God. Prayer. Taking it seriously. This is a race to win. And I can get knocked out of this race pretty quick. I'm not focused. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, meaning Christ. There's the strength. There's the power. He's the companion, the example, the teacher, our sanctification, our wisdom, our righteousness, our redemption, Jesus Christ. He's the one. So we talk about the Olympics of life, the great race, the greatest race there ever be run for the most valuable prize, a crown of life. Are you in that race? Only you can answer that. Are you in? Are you a Christian? Are you running the race? If you're running the race, how are you running? Are you running to win? Are you trying to be pleasing to God? Or are you just kind of loafing along, being very casual and having keep looking back at the world? We need to take Paul's words seriously. He says, I run to win. I discipline my body. We need self-control in order to be pleasing to the Lord. If you're not in the race, you can get in the race this morning by being born again in Christ through the waters of baptism, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through believing in Christ and obeying the gospel. You get in the race, and you begin, begin to run. If you are a Christian, and there's things about you running the race are not right, and the Word of God has touched you this morning, then I just say, don't, don't slough it off. Don't brush it off. Take it to heart. If you need to change, you make to repent in the way you're running, then do it. Do it. If you want us to pray with you about that this morning, then we'd be glad to do that as well. However we might assist you, please let us know while we stand and sing. Are you trusting?